to avoid if you're hospitalized and things that you do want in, in the hospital. Again, I'm just talking about me here, but from my research the last two years, and my research has been extensive, that, you know, my husband said, well, why do you, why do you even want to go to the hospital if you get sick? And I'm like, John, you're not going to, if your lips are turning blue and you can't breathe, you're not just going to lie there and die. So there is a time and a place to go to the hospital. And I appreciate hospitals for the services they provide, but some of them I want and some of them I don't want. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here. And today I want to talk to you about preparing to stay out of the hospital. Okay, so preparing in advance. I've been talking for years and years, maybe top three topics I've covered as in whatever you want to call me, author, influencer, the last 15 years is how to be prepared in advance uh, so that if you get any kind of bacterial or viral infection, you can knock it down with natural supplements and not end up on an antibiotic. But today, let's take it a step further. I don't want to add to the fear porn, but because people are already so very afraid, can we talk about your preparedness to stay out of the hospital? And should you end up in the hospital, what do you need to know so that you get out of there without treatments you don't want that might create some very terrible outcomes? So the impetus for doing this episode is that some good friends of ours that I'll call Ann and Jeff, uh, he just came down sick two days ago and it's all the, the typical COVID symptoms, losing his taste. He very quickly went into uh, a lot of coughing and a lot of congestion in his respiratory system. John and I didn't, we probably coughed like 10 times throughout the whole thing. Um, we didn't accumulate a bunch of junk in our lungs, but let's talk about that. Our friend is in a lot of risk categories, has a lot of comorbidities, had dozens and dozens of surgeries throughout his whole life. He's in his mid-60s. Um, he's not in good shape at all. Uh, so I ran some ivermectin over to them last night because he was only about a day in. Now, ivermectin really is only effective in the first phase of COVID. So we're talking about the first week. If you're taking it the second week or past that, you know, the horse is already out of the barn because what ivermectin is doing is reducing the viral load in the, the oral and nasal passages. So that's the mechanism of action. And so getting it, having it on hand early is super important. And I, in every single piece of content I did in the whole month of October, of 2021, every single episode I talked about this and I did an entire dedicated podcast on why you need to get ivermectin now. And the main reason why you need to get it now is that it's it's they're driving it off the market. And they're not just driving it off the market in the United States. They're trying to drive it off the market in India as well, where we think of India as Uttar Pradesh, knock down the, the virus. They have basically no COVID at all. And they have the same population as the United States does. So that's what's interesting about it is here we have tons of people hospitalized right now. Lots of people we know are sick. They just canceled our church's breakfast tomorrow morning because so many people are sick. Um, and so before we get started, a couple quick announcements. Number one, my show has been banned on Spotify. I have been deplatformed there. So I guess if you're listening to this, you've found another way to listen to it. But in case you're subscribed on Spotify, you have to go subscribe somewhere else. I'm just going to keep 
um, speaking the truth from wherever I can find a spot on the internet to do so. And then the second thing is we've had 780 people join us for detoxing this month. You're, if you're a little late to the game, it's not too late to get in. I'll put a link down below for a little four video masterclass you can watch about my 25 years now of studying human detoxification, how I got well from a vaccine injury 25 years ago. And also, if you just want to join us, if you've already seen the four videos and you want to join us and you forgot to sign up, we'll put a link for that down below too. So anyway, the first thing I told our friend, Anne, it's not her real name, but we'll call her that. The first thing I said is, okay, you're not sick. And he is, you're going to have to be the one who helps him if he goes in the hospital. So I'm going to bring you some ivermectin that is my own prescription. And you know what? It's over the counter in many countries. And very quickly, you can read about this in Bobby Kennedy's book. After you know COVID was launched upon us, many countries that offered ivermectin as an over-the-counter treatment or, or drug that you can just buy at any pharmacy they went and bought them all up off the shelves or they put it behind the counter and forced you to have a prescription. And then of course they have uh, basically scared our medical professionals silly so that they can't possibly prescribe it and pharmacies don't have it in stock and or refuse to prescribe it to you. They may just refuse to prescribe it to you. So I told her, you can take one um, pill a, a week prophylactically. So with the ones I'm bringing over here, by the way, it says not medical advice. This is what I did with my good friends. And this is what I would do. So please do not read anything into this. That is medical advice for you. This is what I would do. Um, and so I said, take high dose vitamin C and take one ivermectin prophylactically because you got to be there for Jeff. If he ends up in the hospital, <clears throat> I said, also, get a medical power of attorney signed by him because should he end up in the hospital, which she is clearly worried about, and he got very sick very fast, um, the hospitals used to give you a medical power of attorney. And from what I'm hearing, especially for patient advocates, like some of these nurses who've lost their jobs or quit their jobs, and now they're doing full-time patient advocacy, which you could consider what I'm talking to you about right now, patient advocacy, okay? Not medical advice, patient advocacy of you know, what I would do for you if I was your power of attorney. Um, and so in addition to giving them ivermectin, which Peter McCullough says is either is neither necessary or required, nor is it sufficient. Why is it not sufficient? Because once you get past that first week, you're still sick the second week, but now you're dealing with inflammation. And, and so you kind of move on to different treatment modalities. Now, I didn't get well from COVID taking ivermectin, I couldn't get my hands on it. I wasn't super worried about it because I didn't really want to use the drug approach anyway. So we did get some ivermectin in the second week and I didn't really feel like it dealt, you know, made much difference for me, if any. But, but again, the reason you're using it in the first week is that ivermectin is decreasing the viral load. So the virus is replicating and replicating. And that's when you get sick is when there's just so much of it in your body and it gets out of balance and your immune system isn't managing it anymore. Normally the immune system is metabolizing viruses that start to replicate like that or live bacterial organisms, same thing. So we have the menace at all times. It's when they start replicating and when our immune system goes down for the count and the pathogen itself increases in quantity, that's when we're in trouble. 
So I also told them that what we did or what we wish we had known in the first week is to just go get a nebulizer at the uh, pharmacy. And then a batch of what Dr. Mercola was out there in 2020 talking about that a lot of people have used very, very effectively to the point where if they got right on it, if they had the supplies, and again, that's where it's so important to have these supplies in advance is to have a little nebulizer. You know what? I had John go to the pharmacy and buy one. I don't know how much it cost. I don't think it was super expensive. But then you make a batch of saline solution with a little bit of hydrogen peroxide, and then you put it over your mouth and nose and you breathe it. So a batch that you're just going to use twice a day for the first week, a batch is seven and a quarter teaspoons of saline. And if you don't have saline or can't get saline or want to save money, you can put a little bit of salt in water and that's saline solution. So seven and a quarter teaspoons of saline with a quarter of a teaspoon of hydrogen peroxide solution. And I think the hydrogen peroxide is like 3%. So just whatever you get at the, at the pharmacy, that'll do it. So that's a batch and you can just keep that and then just put a spoonful into your nebulizer to do your 20 minutes of nebulizer treatment. And what that's doing is it's going into your oral nasal pharyngeal area and it's knocking down the virus. So it's something natural. It's not systemic like taking an antibiotic is. And, and this is the kind of thing that, that looks like it keeps people out of the hospital. So another thing to buy at the at the pharmacy is a pulse oximeter. Now I was told to buy this. We were already sick. We got it. And I just didn't feel like it was necessary because neither one of us were having a hard time breathing. And we never got out of the high 90s. We never got down into the 80s and 70s. If you're down in the 70s, and maybe even the 80s, you do that for very long and you're potentially damaging your brain. And so that's where people end up going to the hospital is when their oxygen saturation level as measured by putting a pulse ox on your middle finger gets too low. Okay, so 85% is way too low. You wanna see 95 to 99%, that's really good. And we never got below that. There was a time that the first time I used it, I put it on. And it said something like 77%. And I was in dialogue with a doctor friend of mine in Utah who was nagging me to go get the pulse ox from the pharmacy. And so I did. And the first time I tried it, it said 70 something percent. And he was like, oh my gosh, you should probably be in a hospital. And I was like, but I feel okay. Like I, I didn't feel okay. I was sick, right? But I didn't feel like I wasn't breathing well. I didn't feel like I was, I didn't, I wasn't turning blue. I wasn't struggling to breathe at all. So then I did the pulse ox again and it was 97% or 98%, something like that. And then we just, we just tried it a couple of times, right? It's not like you're using it up. So make sure you try that pulse ox thing a few times because I almost had a little panic attack because this doctor friend of mine was panicking. He had been hospitalized with COVID. And so he, and he was sick for a month. He was, he was really quite sick. So, and the other thing is, you know, you've taken the natural approach and this is something totally appropriate to do prophylactically too, is I, I told Chris, we'll take high doses of vitamin C. Okay. The cheap vitamin C, uh, is not my favorite. And I take some, I think it's called pure radiance is the brand and it's, it's low quantity though. So maybe you're taking ascorbic acid, which is the cheap synthetic vitamin C in high doses when you're sick, you know, I just, I'm not a big fan of how they make it. 
which is they make it from corn syrup and they use a solvent to extract it. I don't, I'm not a big fan of ascorbic acid. And I know that everybody else has told you to take high doses of it, but that's what most vitamin C is. It's tough to find one that isn't. Mine, That's this Pure Radiance brand, is it's all whole foods. It's uh, Amla, um, Camu Camu, Rose Hips, uh, I think lemon peel or something like that. It's all it's all whole foods. So of course, it's also lower milligrams. I think it's only like 120 milligrams per pill. So you'd have to take like half a bottle of it to get a to get a mega dose, right? So I said you can take vitamin C, you can take vitamin D, especially if you don't know that you're you have optimal vitamin D levels, which is over 80% of people. Um, you can take zinc, you can take quercetin. And these are things that the mechanism of action is just to strengthen your immune system. And then, so those are the things to do for him. For her, I, I just said, again, uh, you could take I, ivermectin prophylactically once a week. Um, and, you know, if people feel like their health is fragile and they're concerned about it, I mean, do our detox. For heaven's sake, what are you waiting for? Do a good cleanse. Do a good detox, bring your toxic load down so that your, uh, your immune system works. Okay, that's when our immune system fails us is when we drink a case of beer a day like my friend Jeff does. So our friend Jeff, who is very, very sick, and we really like to keep him out of the hospital, and she was out shopping an hour ago for his uh, pulse oximeter and the nebulizer and the hydrogen peroxide. And I told her I have more ivermectin if you guys run out and you really feel like he needs more, but I gave them how much I feel like they need. But she, she's just taking, she's just taking one per week. I I feel like if you're young enough and healthy enough, especially after you've done a detox, you know what the best thing is with COVID is to just get it. And I know that you're not supposed to say that. And that's completely, we're supposed to be scared of it. And we're supposed to lock down and we're supposed to terminate all business. And we get banned on Spotify if we say things like that. But you know, having gotten it, I can't get it again. It's literally like something like a one in 10,000 chance that I'll get it again. And Peter McCullough is out there saying that. And you got Robert Malone out there saying, I got it, I got it twice. Well, if he thinks he got it twice, how does he know since the test itself is so fraudulent, right? So sometimes people get sick twice and maybe once it was the flu or a bad cold or something else. There's plenty of other viruses and bacterial infections. And they think they got it twice. Well, it's just a like it's what the cool kids do these days is say I got COVID twice, but it's actually not true. Once you actually have immunity to it, my friend Janice just texted me right before I started just now and said I went for my annual physical and I got from getting COVID over a year ago. My antibodies are still high. They have tested people who had smallpox or who had the Spanish flu, and they still had crazy high antibodies decades and decades later. It's like basically your body is trained to know to know that enemy and it's not going to allow that enemy again. And that's why, you know, yes, once in a blue moon, someone will get the chicken pox twice. But generally speaking, once you've gotten the chicken pox, you don't worry about the chicken pox anymore, right? So things to avoid if you're hospitalized and things that you do want in, in the hospital. Again, I'm just talking about me here, but from my research the last two years and my research has been extensive that, you know, my husband said, well, why do you, why do you even want to go to the hospital if you get sick? And I'm like, John, you're not going to, if your lips are turning blue and you can't breathe, you're not just going to lie there and die. So there is a time and a place to go to the hospital. And I appreciate hospitals for the services they provide, but some of them I want and some of them I don't want. And we have been hearing stories about people going to the hospital and having 
their next of kin, their person who's with them, their spouse, their medical power of attorney being told you cannot make choices for this person. And so signing a medical power of attorney is a great preparedness step. Well, my friend, Anne said, I did already print off a power of attorney. I hadn't signed it yet, but, or had him sign it. So they used to, when you go to the hospital, give you the medical power of attorney. But what people are telling us now is that they aren't giving it to people and they won't, and you can ask for it. And in some cases, hospitals won't give it to you. So that's why I say it's a great idea to already have that signed. What if Ann has to take Jeff to the hospital and he is not verbal and he is too ill to say, yeah, I don't want remdesivir. So let's get into what I wouldn't want in the hospital. First of all, remdesivir, number one thing. And if I were, if my husband were hospitalized with COVID and he's not going to, because he's already had it, but if he were, I would be watching them at every single minute and I would be completely pleasant and I'd be completely nice because you want to secure yourself a bed. You have to remember that a hospital is a business. A hospital is a business and they have been highly incentivized to number one, diagnose someone with COVID. If they do, the average hospital stay or the hospital stay doesn't pay them $5,000 like it would if they had the flu, pays them $13,000. So they're highly incentivized to call it COVID. And at some point in 2020, the CDC told all the doctors and hospitalists in America that they don't even have to test for it to be COVID to actually call it COVID. So they were basically off the hook for having any integrity. They were basically given permission to completely let go of their integrity. So I would not want remdesivir first and foremost. If there was a one thing I was going to avoid at all costs, it would be that. And the hospitals are being paid to administer remdesivir. And they're being told that it is the standard of care per Lord Fauci. And so they're worried that if they don't give remdesivir, to someone that they will actually get sued for not following the standard of care. Now, it's completely insane that remdesivir is the standard of care because there were only two studies done on it when Fauci decided that it was standard of care for everyone in America. And one of those studies showed for Ebola that it killed uh, it killed over half of the patients that were on it. And this is for Ebola. It wasn't even for COVID. This is before COVID. This was in 2019. It killed over half the patients, and so they terminated the study. It had to take all the, or they had to take the patients off of, of remdesivir. It was such a disastrous fail. And the other study was a very minor, uh, very small numbers uh, of COVID patients, and the results weren't good. So there's actually no evidence whatsoever that remdesivir is a good idea. There's only bad news about remdesivir, and the worst news about remdesivir is that it'll kill your kidneys in five days flat. You know, it's actually killing people of of kidney failure. Well, people also sometimes die who aren't treated with remdesivir of COVID. And so I don't know exactly why Tony Fauci told everybody in America that the standard of care is to put everybody on this $3,000 drug. And then he bought up something like 30-something million doses of ivermectin and then hoarded them and won't let the American public have them. Who knows exactly why he's doing that? I certainly have my theories, but that's not the point of our episode today. But I would avoid remdesivir at all costs. And so I would secure my hospital bed first, though. So I would check in, I would do all the things. And then once your loved one or you are actually in the bed, remember, you don't want to go to a restaurant and say, I'm just going to eat the free chips. 
and salsa, right? Like you don't want to go to the hospital and say, you're not going to make much money on me. I don't want remdesivir as you're walking in the door. You know, you don't want to get turned away because they can make up all kinds of reasons to turn you away so that they don't get in legal trouble. They could say, we're we're full. I don't even know all the reasons that they might turn you away. That their real reason might be, well, we we only want to give people remdesivir because we know what a patient is worth in a bed. And if we wait till the next guy who walks in the door, who's going to allow us to put remdesivir in his IV bag. And by the way, make sure you understand that, that it goes in your IV. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking of something, they're going to have your, your loved one swallow, it's actually in the IV bag. So you have to be vigilant about that. You have to make it clear that you don't want the remdesivir. But what I think is super deadly is remdesivir plus the vent. And my respiratory therapist friend says, that's what we do to everyone. He has told me like when we send them upstairs, when we escalate them to the COVID ward, we never see them come down alive. Like they don't leave the hospital alive. So we don't know yet. I think that we'll have to, you know, tease this apart. Scientists will have to tease this apart for years to figure out exactly what it is that Tony Fauci did to all of us. But you're on a bunch of different medications, maybe eight or nine different medications that are sedatives or paralytics before they can even vent you because you have to be completely non-resistant. Like think about what you would do if somebody tried to shove a plastic tube down into your lungs, right? You have to be pretty much comatose for that to happen. So who knows if there's some kind of interplay between the drugs that you have to be on to be vented, the paralytics and the sedatives and the remdesivir. Nobody knows that yet. Nobody's done any research on the the interaction of those drugs, but the two together, it's, it's a rare person who even survives it. It's probably a person who is pretty healthy to begin with who could even survive that kind of piled up treatment. Another thing that I wouldn't want going to the hospital, and again, this goes to being vented. When you're vented, you are immobilized. And when you are immobilized, not only are you not getting oxygenated, and they do have these fancy beds that'll turn people upside down and back. And my friend who's a respiratory therapist has told me that he spends most of his day turning COVID patients because most of them are obese, so they're difficult to turn. It takes multiple people to do it, but they're also immobilized. Okay, and some of them are really, he calls it gorked, right? They're really out of it. They're on all kinds of sedatives um, and they have to turn them because when they turn them, their oxygen stats go from dangerously low to up in the 90s again. So, but then they come down and down and down again and they have to turn them again. So when they turn them to their front or they turn them to their back, their oxygen saturation goes way up. And he said, that's just something that everybody knows in the hospital. And unfortunately, that's what he spends most of his time doing. So I wouldn't want to be immobilized and what's going to be, and because uh, I'd want to be up walking around. And if you're at home with COVID, that's one of the best things you can do is move around a little bit. You know, I'm not saying run a marathon. Obviously you're not well, but just lying in bed is a bad idea, but especially bad idea in a hospital because not only are you highly prone to pneumonia when you are immobilized and you have a vent in you because you literally aren't moving at all but you're also very vulnerable to hospital-acquired infection. So what would I want in the hospital? Why would I even go to a hospital? Well, if my lips were turning blue and I couldn't breathe and I was gasping for air, I would go to a hospital with all the things that I just told you as you know, the contingencies. But I would accept being on the oxygen BiPAP machine. Okay, that's not stuffed down into your lungs. 
that doesn't require sedatives and paralytics. You're just getting oxygen. See, that's one of the reasons why you do go to the hospital. That's why it does make sense to go to the hospital. Of course, that would be helpful. And we can't just go order that at a at a regular pharmacy. They pretty much administer it in hospitals, right? So I would get imaging to see if there's pneumonia involved. I would, and that's not without risk. It's not that any of these are without risk. These are just things that I would accept if I were sick enough. Budesonide, inhaled budesonide, that's a steroid. I'm generally not a fan of steroids. Steroids suppress your immune system, the kind that you actually ingest. But if you ingest the steroid, it's totally systemic. It's going to suppress your immune system for like six months. A course of steroids has been shown to do that. So, but budesonide is good because you can inhale it. So I would definitely accept inhaled steroids, such as budesonide. And then if they want to administer anti-inflammatories, because there's a lot of inflammation going on, that's another drug protocol that I would accept. And then I really actually don't know why doctors are insisting on azithromycin. Why exactly are they giving this pretty hardcore antibiotic? My guess is, and again, this is just a guess, is that they're, it's prophylactic for hospital-acquired infections because hospital-acquired infections are so common, especially for people in this state who are immobilized. So, But I'm not really sure about that. Now, a lot of you um, have told me stories about asking for vitamin C on an IV drip. Good luck with that. Do I think you should ask for it? Yes. Do I think it could be useful? Yes. Do I think you'll get it from a hospital? Probably not, but you might as well try. Just ask for it. As soon as you've got your bed secured, start asking for IV vitamin C. And there are hospitals who will, mostly just because there's a there's an employee, like a nurse who's willing to go to bat for you and go get it. They can get it, but most of them won't. It's just not what hospitals specialize in, right? They're not gonna give you zinc and vitamin C and quercetin either, or vitamin D. It's just not what they do. They don't get paid for it. They don't do things that they don't get paid for. Like you have to get really clear on that because people just, you know, defer or they just assign their health to someone else. Even though we don't do that when we go to a restaurant, we don't walk in a restaurant and say, you know, you're the experts here. Just bring me whatever. Like when's the last time you went to a restaurant and said, just whatever you're, you're the food experts here. Okay. Well, it's okay to educate yourself. And all these people out there, all the super pro-vax people out there, their main argument is, are you a medical professional? Well, I actually know a lot not being a medical professional. So you can trust yourself and you can educate yourself just like they were educated, but they were educated in specific things and they weren't educated in other things. For instance, they have, they were not offered any education about the usefulness of these vitamins and other supplements like vitamin C, vitamin D, quercetin, and zinc, which have been really helpful. And I think that's basically what's in Dr. Zelenko's Z stack that he's had such good success with. So just remember hospitals are incentivized to call you COVID, a COVID patient. They're incentivized financially to give you remdesivir. They want to give you remdesivir. They make money when they give you remdesivir. If you don't want remdesivir, you are the guy who ate the chips and salsa and didn't order anything in the restaurant. Okay. And they are incentivized to put you on a vent. If you're on a vent, they get paid $39,000, not $13,000. 
So why wouldn't they want to put you on event? The only reason why they wouldn't want to put you on event is if the medical professionals there are willing to go against standard of care and work with you on keeping you on the BiPAP machine and trying other things because they believe in patient sovereignty and in your right to choose. So if you aren't bullied into doing those things, it's because there are some employees there who are ethical and who actually care about you getting your own choice about your medical decisions. And then finally, they are incentivized to put COVID on a death certificate. So that's how we've seen people who die of a motorcycle crash, but they do a swab and some quick test for COVID and it comes back positive and they put them down as a COVID death. So be aware of the hospital's incentives. Uh, My friend, Anne, is the kind of strong personality that you want. If you are going to be in the hospital, who is going to be your patient advocate? Who is going to be there with you? My friend, Anne, is already that kind of personality. She's a total go-getter. She's uh, very verbal. She's very articulate. She's not afraid of people in white coats. She actually told me when she called to tell me about Jeff being hospitalized yesterday, she told me that her her doctor had bullied her to get the... uh, vaccine. And she said to her doctor, oh, is there a vaccine? And the doctor didn't laugh and didn't get the joke and um, and said, of course, there's a vaccine. You need to get it. And, and she said, well, if it's a vaccine, well, what's in it? <laughs> Knowing full well that this doctor doesn't have any idea what's in that vaccine. Oh, why is that? Oh, because they haven't disclosed it to anyone. Nobody knows what's in the vaccine. None of the pub- None of the public knows what's in the vaccine. Those ingredients are simply not all disclosed. We could find out what some of them are if we really, really dig. They work. They work really hard to put all kinds of um, very esoteric acronyms and letters and numbers that we have no idea what that actually is. But if you dig, you can find out what some, but not all, of the ingredients in the vaccine are. So you want someone who, if you are ever hospitalized, and I don't think that this problem with our hospitals is going to go away. I think the hospitals have been basically taken over and bought off. It's not that hard to buy people off. You just create incentives like that, right? And you send a letter to all the doctors who work in the hospital. And I have a bunch of doctor friends who've told me they've gotten this letter from their higher up saying, basically threatening them, threatening their job, their license. Uh, You know, there's lots of ways to blackmail a doctor. Think about their medical insurance. Think about how scared they would be to lose their medical insurance. They're not going to practice without medical insurance. So they can get the insurance involved. Uh, there's, It's not that hard to subvert the hospitals. And we have just seen it happen in the last two years. So you want someone with a strong personality who's going to be your advocate in hospital if you are incapacitated and can't really speak for yourself. And that's likely, right? By the time you get to the hospital, you likely are pretty unwell. So someone also who's pretty educated on these issues. So I felt like Anne is the perfect person to go advocate for Jeff. Jeff is a very laid back, easygoing person. And she's worried about him. Like I said, he drinks a case of beer every day and he's not in good shape and doesn't exercise. And he's in a somewhat high risk age category. He's in his mid sixties. So I also can't finish this. It's so unlike me to talk about the drugs I would let them give me and the ones that I wouldn't. But I can't end this, of course, without saying that green juices, alkalizing, oxygenating, nutrient-dense green juices are a great way to help the body shift into being a little bit more alkaline and able to deal with this onslaught of chemicals. Anything that you can do to, to bring the toxic burden down, I highly recommend you do a detox. I highly recommend you do it now. You won't be sorry. 
Nobody's ever sorry. Nobody ever does it and says, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I could have all my toxicity back, right? But green juices, herbal teas, uh, fasting isn't a bad idea. And if you get COVID, you'll probably do some fasting anyway because you can't taste food. And if you're like us, we weren't even hungry at all. Like we had to remind ourselves to eat food once a day because we just had no appetite. Um, get in a sauna. I'll give a link down below to uh, a webinar I did, a one-hour webinar on the health benefits of having a sauna in your home. We've been this winter in our sauna, even though we lived in Florida. I thought I would move here to Florida and not want to get in my sauna. I still absolutely love getting my sauna. And I've been in my sauna the last four nights in a row. So, and, and skin brushing, okay, get the get the lymphatic system moving. It's an important part of your immune system too. It doesn't get talked about very often. Skin brushing, getting in a sauna. If you can't buy a sauna for yourself, you can buy a package of them. It's a great way to get rid of a lot of toxicity through the pores of your skin, your skin being the biggest organ of elimination. And so do our detox, do green juices, do your quart of green smoothie a day. These are all things that keep you strong and help keep you out of the medical system that we are all concerned about. People doing our detox right now aren't all just people who got the vaccines and got arm twisted into getting the vaccines or have some regret about getting the vaccines. A lot of them are people who didn't get them and just want to steer clear of the hospitals because of all the horror stories that all of us have heard in the last two years. So I'll put down in the show notes where you can still get ivermectin. Okay, I had my team do a little research into the original places that you can get ivermectin, including my own little family-owned pharmacy here in Black Bear Beach. He doesn't have it anymore. He's like, stop sending me people. But we do, do still have some places that you can get it from. Uh, people are always asking me, do you trust ordering it from India? Because my all-day chemist is in India. And I actually do, to a certain extent, as much as I trust pharma in general, because parts of India totally eliminated COVID. Parts of India that are as populated as the United States is, they've eliminated COVID by using ivermectin. And that's the supply, one must assume, that they were using to eliminate that COVID. So I would probably trust buying from India as much as I would trust buying in the United States. I mean, I don't trust, I don't trust big pharma, right? So I I also wouldn't at all tell you that there's not a place for pharmaceutical products. It's just like everything else in America. We just like to overdo things, right? I often talk about topics like this, how, you know, I was like pro-gay marriage and then it turned into LGBTQIA+. And the plus is just as like a placeholder to add more, I guess, later, I mean, transhuman, I don't know. And then same thing with drugs. Like I would be the first to agree that discovering antibiotics was a miracle. Discovering penicillin was an absolute miracle. We just tend to overdo things. Just because something is good, we don't have to go crazy with it, right? Like, I think it's good that we have, it, it should be good that we have artificial intelligence, but then we go too far with it and we take everyone's rights away. And now we are all concerned about this global tyranny where some people who want power are using artificial intelligence um, to put us in a bit of a digital prison and a physical prison as well. We're all we're all uh, looking at what's going on right now in Park City. We just got um, not in Park City anymore, but I must be on some phone list. I don't know how, but I got a text message saying Park City is under mask 
mandate now. We know how this goes. We already know how this goes, guys. They already conditioned us. It goes from mask mandate to lockdown. So it looks like that's what's coming next. I'm going to be announcing really soon a seven-city tour that I'm doing in Florida. I am on the stage with Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Carrie Midday. Um, I'm pretty sure that Del Bigtree is coming. Dr. Christiane Northrup is coming. Dr. Jane Ruby, Stu Peters, all your favorites, all the people who've been standing up for your freedom in the last two years. And so lots more speakers besides them. But I'll talk about that more later, but thought I'd just tease that. That'll be coming out in the next month. I have a feeling some of you will want to fly in for it and maybe go to one or two of the cities. I mean, the tickets are going to be like 35 bucks to hear all of these amazing speakers. So down below, check out the sauna webinar if you want to. Check out the four videos about detoxing, or I'll also give you a link down below to just join us, jump into the detox, and I will see you next time. 